this series, there's only two weeks left, this week and next week, called Honest to God, Learning to Pray the Psalms. And so, of course, I want to be transparent about things that are happening in our church. <laughs> what kind of pastor would I be preaching on honesty and then when things are happening that are less than delightful in our church, I shove them under the rug. I have a deep conviction that everything is better in the light, whether it stings or not. So that's why we're in this series. We'll continue to preach on that truth. Today, we have uh, the joy of getting to hear from three of the elders. On each, each one will be giving a, a, a short meditation on a different psalm and that psalm's sort of connection to their prayer life. Because as I've said since the beginning, if by the end of this series you know a lot of interesting tidbits about the book of Psalms, when it was written, who it was written by, how many verses are in something, what genre, yada, but you're not actually praying the Psalms, I have failed. So that's what you're going to hear in place of the sermon is from these three elders, and I have the joy of opening with the scripture of Psalm 118. The scripture readings are all somewhat long today, but they are beautiful psalms. So we have the words on the screen. You can also, if it's better for you, pull open your Bible. Uh, this is the NIV translation, and follow along, and really receive these as the words of life. Today's first teaching text is Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Uh, good morning, first for you. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to need to ask you all for some help. As many of you know, I am hearing impaired, so if I am talking too softly, just let me know. You know, tell me to talk louder. <laughs> uh, so to me, this, uh, this song... Uh, there's several themes running through it out. Uh, fear, assurance, giving thanks. Um, and I love how it just opens up and immediately we are pulled in and called to give thanks to the Lord and to focus on God. And for that, for the reason that he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And uh, <clears throat> and so it's just no matter what I'm doing or experiencing that day, just to be able to uh, immediately focus and practice gratitude, giving thanks for what has happened today, recently, what God has done for me. Um, and <clears throat> it could be something small, it could be something big. Um, so I just even in things where um, I could be struggling with something, but it just, I love this psalm in that it starts off with that focus, like giving thanks to God for who he is. <clears throat> and then, uh, as you noticed, uh, it's, it's his steadfast love endures forever, and he repeats it several times, you know, first at the national level, you know, Israel, his steadfast love endures forever. Then at the tribe level, for the house of Aaron, his steadfast love endures forever. And then at the individual level, his steadfast love endures forever. <clears throat> and it's really quite amazing to think about just how God is steadfast in his love. It's just, we all know of people who try to be steadfast, but they will fail. And we, will, we ourselves will fail and come short and not be steadfast. Um, but we can always trust in the Lord. And then later, it's talking about, in distress, I call upon the Lord. And so that's a, like, I'm, I'm in a place of fear, I'm in distress, but I'm going to call upon the Lord. Am I calling upon the Lord? So I'm asking myself when I'm reading this, 
it, when I'm in a place of fear, have I been calling out upon the Lord? And then right after that is that assurance, you know, the Lord has answered and set me free. He is my helper. He is my refuge. And then again, we go back to fear. I am surrounded. I am surrounded by everyone. I am surrounded on all sides. I'm surrounded by bees. <laughs> and I imagine that would be very panic inducing. It's like, oh, I'm in a state of panic. But the Lord is there with us. And we can always call upon the Lord. Even if we feel like we have nowhere to turn, he is there with us. And then again, uh, you know, I was pushed, you know, somebody's literally work, actively working against me. I was pushed and I'm falling, but the Lord is there. He is helping me. And, uh, <clears throat> and then uh, he's our strength our song, our salvation. And then we're giving thanks again. So at the beginning, we're giving thanks, and in the middle, we're giving thanks again. <clears throat> and uh, let me read it here. So open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And trained as an architect, I always meditate on that cornerstone. And I always pause there because a cornerstone is a reference stone. It's where all the rest of the building is to be aligned with and to be referencing that. And so I pause there and I meditate on how am I aligned with the Lord? I may have all these different pieces, all these blocks, and they may be great and they may be necessary, but are they placed in alignment with the Lord? Am I working towards what the Lord wants? What pieces are out of place? What do I need to work on? And what do I need to give over to the Lord? And then following that is the, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what is happening, if we're in a place of fear or danger, we can still rejoice in that day because the Lord has made it and be glad in it. And then, of course, it always reminds me of singing that hymn in my childhood and then I go back to thinking about <clears throat> uh, faith as a child. What does that mean? And just being wholeheartedly trusting in the Lord. And that doesn't mean not questioning because as many of you know, children have lots and lots of questions and they ask and they want to understand and know more and they're asking lots of questions. But they have that wholehearted trust. And so I think about that. And then 
Similarly, earlier, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Another hymn that comes to mind as I read through this. <clears throat> and then towards the end, we're ending the same way we're beginning. So you are my God, I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it's steadfast is, you know, is unwavering. It's resolutely firm. And so we can always depend on the Lord. And then I just also uh, think about how it's not necessarily just a command, but it's something that is a, a natural outpouring. It's a natural response to what God has done, his work in our lives, his faithfulness. Because um, it's, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So I, you know, lots of times I've been in distress and I think I have nowhere to turn, but the Lord is there, he's there with me. <clears throat> and, um, and then uh, if you look through this psalm in other translations, a lot of times, well, there are a lot of different ways to translate what has been translated as steadfast love. So there's mercy, grace, loving kindness. So sometimes I'll go through again and think through that with that lens, you know, how does this fit in? How does that change my perception? Um, and then sometimes I'll also go through it again with uh, just a, <clears throat> a sense of, um, like, I can trust in the Lord or I will not fear, right? So it's like, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me, right? Uh, it is better to t take refuge in the Lord. I will not fear. I am surrounded on all sides, but I will not fear. I'm surrounded by bees, but I will not fear. I can trust in the Lord. He is my refuge and my strength. So, that's it. Uh, Duncan's coming up. Today's second text is Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. 
The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake the faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. For the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The word of God for the people of God. Hi, everybody. This uh, piece of scripture is one that is dear to me. In fact, if someone were to ask me, what is it to be a child of God? I would tear out this psalm and hand it to him. A couple of words strike out in this one. Uh, one is presumed and the other one is stated. It's pretty obvious that our prayer lives 
and even our activity as Christians can be uh, interrupted, perhaps, or perhaps even tainted by distraction. And how that distraction affects us. And the word in our scriptures, fret, is what distraction does to us. Uh, yeah, what have I got, seven minutes? I could easily, not that anybody in here wants this to happen, by the way, but I could easily preach two months of sermons on this psalm. <laughs> and two months would not be enough. Because every single aspect of this psalm is supported by the rest of Scripture. If someone were to ask you, what is it to live a life of faith in God? In my estimation, this psalm is the answer to that question. And so, data, facts, and just observation makes very clear, at least in our neck of the woods, that more and more people, especially those of younger generations, are rejecting the church. And in my estimation, the number one reason that they are is because they fail to see the integrity of what we say we preach versus what we do. And for years, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, in my estimation, the church has become bored with the simplicity of what we're asked to do. And so we think we have to do more or something else or we have to take control. Psalm 37 says, no, you don't. Psalm 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Yeah, that's it. End of story. Now, if you don't think I'm right about this, all right, let's do some more quoting here, Christians. Ephesians 2, right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Romans 12.1. Oh, I love Romans. Okay, love it. I therefore urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
and or rational, service of worship. Jesus, who we call Lord, except when it's inconvenient, says that we are the salt of the earth. And if you read, go home and read Psalm 37, and then go directly to your favorite version of the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see so many parallels that your head will spin. Because every time I read this psalm, I am heartened and I am reassured because I live in a world which is in battle for my mind and my attitude. People in power are trying to get me to bow down to them. I see Christians pulled this way and that. And they've become distracted. And they're fretting. The Jewish scripture representation of this psalm doesn't say the word fret, it's worse. They use the word vex. Do not be vexed. Now, vexed is a, is a tougher word because it suggests that not only are you fretting, but that fret has now become a spirit of sorts that rules over you, and you cannot walk away from it. You're vexed. I'm sorry, Christians, people are looking at us at a large segment of us. <laughs> and all they're seeing is fret and vexation. We've become distracted by everything else except the simplicity of the faithful life. We're the ones who are supposed to be good. And we're supposed to understand that God wants that. He knows what's going to happen to all the others, especially those who are active in trying to tilt the world in a particular direction. And luxuriate because they're being recognized and they get people's money and stuff like that or the person at work who makes your life miserable because they're in a kind of competition that you're really not into, but yet they're forcing you into it. As a Christian, whenever I am distracted, I'm not walking into my prayer life properly. And as the book of Job teaches us, if I'm just continually fretting, I'm not getting anything accomplished. Read the book of Job that way. Job is fretting. 
he's become vexed, so to speak, by his lack of understanding of what's going on. And then finally, in the final chapter, he's set straight. Nah, knock it off. God's in control. Your job is to pray for your friends. It's not about you, is it? No. And what does the story tell us? He starts praying for his friends. He forgets about himself. And then all of a sudden, things get better. Right? Uh, let's see here. It says that in here, too. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. Right? Now, I don't know, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know who wrote this psalm. People think it's David. Uh, the lines about, I have been young and now I am old. Either David was at a moment of just growing up, <laughs> because he spends a lot of time in the psalms fretting, uh, or somebody has decided that this should be for him. This is an answer to a certain extent to prayer. This is wisdom. But see, what happens is that you read the psalm and then you become worshipful because you realize that your service of worship is to be consistent with integrity about whom you serve and what you do. And that's worship, the scripture says. So how about that? Stop being distracted. Stop fretting. Stop worrying about people who don't have the right things in mind. Yeah, yeah, it's not but bad. It's not good for our world, but stop fretting about it. Start showing the integrity of your faith so that other people perhaps will begin to look at us again with a sense of respect and curiosity because we are and we are becoming who we say we are. And start praying for that, for yourself and for the rest of us. Today's third and final teaching text is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of God for the people of God. So I know some of you are thinking, hey, Psalms 23, we did this. We're already doing reruns. Um, But the caveat was Matt asked for for the elders to share one of their favorite hymns, and this is top down my number one favorite psalm, not hymn. Um, I pray it many mornings. Uh, It's obviously undoubtedly one of the world's most well-known and quoted psalms for the simple reason that it's a beautifully constructed piece of poetry that to me captures a person's walk with God as well as any other psalm or other uh, poetry that I know of. So let me spend a few moments on this psalm. Uh, I'll start though with my lame dad joke. I'm sorry we, I, I, I'm compelled to do this. Um, I have two grandkids, three and five, and I like to make up silly songs and sing nursery rhymes. So on this theme of shepherd, uh, one of the songs I sing is Mary Had a Little Lamb. Um, have a concern about that, that it's about a 200-year-old song. It was actually written by a woman named Mary in Maine in 1830. Uh, she had an incident with a lamb. And um, the reason I think it's still so popular today is that when Thomas Edison invented the phonograph, the very first song he recorded, the very first song recorded in history was Mary Had a Little Lamb. So I think that's great, but um, I, I feel like my kids growing up in the city don't, can't relate to the rural scene, so I, I changed the words. So this is the urban version of Mary Had a Little Lamb, and I apologize in advance, I will never again sing a solo in church. <clears throat> um, and it goes simply like this. <clears throat> Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb, she liked it medium rare so I uh, I think the kids can relate to that right it's much more contextualization it's it's important <clears throat> I'm sorry for that again for singing um, not gonna cover the entire psalm today um, I'm gonna cover verses 1 and 4 this uh, verse 1 is one I often pray in the mornings because I desperately need it So let me break it down for you as best as my scrambled brain can. Um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's three truths conveyed here to me that I acknowledge often in the morning times. The first one is just that the Lord, that first verse, acknowledging that God is the Lord as the one in charge. Similar to maybe how Jesus started the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, acknowledging who is in charge. And I regularly need to start my day acknowledging that. The second truth in this first verse is, the Lord is my shepherd, acknowledging that God will guide you, that uh, you yield to his leading and direction. Again, something I need to acknowledge regularly. And the third truth here is, I shall not want, acknowledging that God provides all I truly want or need. This is both a declaration and a decision. As one commentator stated it, all my needs are supplied by the Lord. I decide not to desire more 
than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives. Isaiah shares, of course, that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And, and for me, and I, I'm right in there, uh, I need to regularly find a way to acknowledge and try to prevent too much of that strain. We need a constant reminder of this. So um, this is, uh, and we're going to do a prayer at the very end, kind of that, that I often use in the morning. But uh, again, I would say, you know, compartmentalizing our relationship to God to one hour on Sunday morning is not going to do the job. And developing these spiritual disciplines is truly needed. I know many of you are doing that. So to summarize this verse one, I'll put it this way. In acknowledging God as sovereign Lord, we relinquish, we relinquish our power. He is in charge of this world, and he is in charge of me. Two, in acknowledging God as our shepherd, we relinquish our control. We seek his direction and follow accordingly. We don't follow our plans and desires, and then after the fact say, God, please bless this. Thirdly, in acknowledging God as the provider of all that is needed, we relinquish all of our desires to him. And we have many, right? We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to us. So in a few minutes, we're going to do a reflective prayer on verse 1, but now I want to go to share a few thoughts on verse 4, because I, I see Psalms 23 as a prayer for the living and a prayer for those dying. And I'll read uh, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Hebrew word evil is defined as that which causes harm, misfortune, trouble, danger, destruction, or injury of any kind. Many commentators reflect that the primary evil identified here is that of death, which is obviously talked about, the shadow of death. But we can imply that the valley here could be any hard and challenging times we may fall into. As a hospice social worker, I've, it's a position I've been doing for about three and a half years. All of my patients are literally walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear, grief, and doubt are standard and expected emotions elicited when one is in a valley, such as a terminal illness. And to be quite honest, uh, even as Christians, we are humans and we can have legitimate fear and doubt. Uh, I've had, you know, what if, what if, you know, at a time of death, there's a very reasonable question to say, what if this Christianity thing isn't true? You know, what if, like Paul said in Corinthians, if Jesus is not raised, our faith is futile, we're still in our sins. So these doubts can lead to fear, compounding the fear of the dying experience. At work, I've had um, opportunity to uh, work with many believers who have expressed their thoughts and fears near the end. And with their permission, I help them bring these thoughts and fears to God. I'll often pray Psalms 23 over them, allowing God's word and God's spirits to do its work. And then my job is simply to discern how God is working in that situation. And I will see of those three lights, God's word, God's spirit, and my ability to discern. There's one weak link in there. Uh, I won't ask you to take a poll, but you can probably figure out which one that is. But to the extent I'm able to discern how God's Spirit is working, I've seen him work. Um, I even had this, I'll share briefly, Friday night. I was on call, twice a month I'm on call overnight. Usually if someone dies, you're 
there and you go to the home and you pronounce them and call the funeral home and provide spiritual and emotional support. This person was dying but uh, not, um, had not yet um, died, but the family said the patient wanted a pastor to go out and pray with him before he died. It's 7 o'clock on Friday night. There's no way I'm going to get... I thought about bugging Matt, but no, actually, I, I said, you know what? I can do this. I often play a chaplain role, so I went out. It was actually a nursing home, and with 15 family members, I simply held this patient's hand and prayed Psalms 23 over them. And I can tell you at one point, I can't remember which verse, I felt a light squeeze from his hand when I was reading. And that was, to me, that was his amen. <clears throat> it's interesting, though, that um, in this verse, um, as we go to verse 4, the, the psalmist states that the absence of excessive, overwhelming fear is due to the fact that God is with me. It's interesting if you look at this whole psalm, that um, the first three verses of the psalm uses the he pronoun, okay? But then in verse 4, it changes to you. In the first portion of the psalm, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Then, beginning in verse 4, at the time of the val valley, David changes it to you or your. It says, um, you are with me. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. In the second half of the psalm, the Lord as shepherd has moved from the third person to the second person. God is far and above us as reflected in the first three verses, but beginning in verse four, he's described as more of our Emmanuel, the one with us. In green pastures, the psalmist identifies God as his Lord and guide. In the valley, the psalmist also identifies God as Lord and guide, but also as protector and one who is right there. A mature walk with God acknowledges and practices all of these realities. But as we all know, in times of valleys, we emotionally really need to see God as our Emmanuel. Those other things are all true, and we need that as well, but we really need God our manual. So here's my one observation based on this psalm and 40 years in social services. <clears throat> Those actively practicing the first portion of Psalms 23 are generally better prepared to deal with any valleys that are placed in their lives. If we're allowing God to lead our life and direct our thoughts and desires, we have a personal relationship and experience with God that assures us of his love and care for us and allows us to more readily listen to his promptings and then follow him. Then when the valley times come, we, may have, we will have our doubts and fears and grief, but we'll also have the past experience of God relating to us, being our rock and shield and providing time and again that he is Lord and that he greatly loves us. So, and that's my privilege with, uh, again, in hospice where I can, um, I can minister to patients. And I would say um, my experience, again, and it's somewhat anecdotal, but for those um, believers I work with who are actively practicing Christians, um, relating to God and allowing him to lead, these Christians are generally able to manage this time better. Not always. Those without a, a background of faith 
I often see more fear, more denial of death, more tendency toward anger with God or with life in general. And there is more of a tendency to have, kind of like Job's wife, when she had this huge loss of kids and, and of uh, property and so many things, just telling her husband, curse God and die. Uh, but when you've been shepherded by God, you will have uh, still many questions. I don't want to minimize the legitimate and deep feelings stirred up during the valley experiences, which the psalmist shares all through the psalms, as we've seen this summer. But merely to say, uh, cultivating that relationship with God before the valleys allows us to deal with the valleys in a better way. Uh, I can personally speak to this um, probably in the most personal way uh, when my first wife, Carol's, um, had a cancer journey about nine years ago and died. Um, and by the way, Carol's 59th birthday was yesterday. Which she's celebrating in heaven. And I, I still have, <clears throat> just a minute. I still have many questions, many why questions, many Job questions. I think about the, um, the impact of her death on her kids and our family and on many others, and I think about the many other ways God could have used her if he gave her more time. And I selfishly think it would have been nice to have another 20 years. So I agree what did not happen. Yet, along with the questions, I also praise God for the 50 years he gave her and of what she did with those 50 years. I also praise God for how the fruit of her life is now being lived out in many others. So I still grieve, as you see, much less acutely um, as in the past. Now mourning, I would say, at a deeper and more soulful level. I don't even know if I can describe the difference, but... Um, I celebrate the life Carol lived and the chance to do a portion of it with her. And I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that God is my shepherd, and I bring all my desires to him, including grief. Trusting that he loves me and is truly in control, despite my many head-scratching questions. So when facing death or other trials, we certainly pray, as Jesus did, that this cup be passed from us, uh, we feel all the deep emotions that are expected, and we share those with God and others. But we also pray in faith that your will be done. So as I conclude this time, I just urge you to not wait until a time of trial to let God be your shepherd. Cultivate that relationship with God now. Um, I've said this before, but the worst time to learn how to swim is when you're on Lake Michigan, your boat tips over, and you're treading water without a life jacket. The best time is in a warm pool with lifeguards and a swim instructor, right? Uh, the same with the spiritual walk. There's never a bad time to reach out to God as your shepherd, but the best time is always right now. So I implore you to think about how it is that you can practically live out God as Lord and as shepherd 
and as one who will meet your needs uh, and figure out those spiritual dis disciplines that work for you during this time. So to that end, I'm going to give you something that I use sometimes, which is a prayer. So we're going to pray right now, if you'd like to close your eyes. Father, you are my Lord. I acknowledge you as Lord of the universe and Lord of my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, you are my shepherd. In your divine power, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. I relinquish control of my life to you. Now I'd like you to pause still with eyes closed and consider for a moment an area in the last week or so that you have not allowed God to have control over. So think about that for a minute, and if something comes to mind, silently acknowledge and confess this to God. And I'll close in about a minute. 